0: Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. It's rare that the worlds of entertainment and hockey collide as severely as they did over the weekend when everybody from TMZ to Page Six reported on the New York Rangers home game against the Washington Capitals in which another game of hockey was going on, tonsil hockey, between SNL's Pete Davidson and beautiful, beloved actress from Underworld, Kate Beckinsale.
1: Gross. (laughs) It's so gross when you're at a public event, usually a sporting event, and you see PDA like this. I feel like I'm always one to point it out. In fact, the grossest I have seen by far was last year at a Blackhawks game. I met my friend Jack between periods, as they often do, uh, to come say hi and bring him an ice cream from the freezer in the Blackhawks press box. I hope you're all listening, Blackhawks PR staff. And we saw a man and a woman both wearing a Martin San Luis jersey, sucking face. It was the Whoa. most bizarre thing we've ever seen. They were not playing any of Martin San Luis' former teams either.
0: Mm. Bringing the lightning, as it were. Now, the other thing about it, too, is that um, uh, Anthony Porowski from Queer Eye, he's the food and wine guy from Queer Eye, the reboot on Netflix, was just kind of sitting there staring off into space while uh, Pete Davidson, the former Mr. Ariana Grande, uh, was sucking face with, with Kate Beckinsale. And, and I can't even imagine what that's like if you're not famous, but he's kind of famous and he knew that in every pho- photograph that would be taken of these two at the Rangers game, he was just going to be sitting there as like the third wheel, which is pretty amazing. I'm excited. You know, these two uh, kids got together at the Oscars and apparently she was at SNL last weekend. And now that they were at the Ranger game together, I think it's, it's, uh, it's true love, which means, um, Any number of tattoos showing up on Pete Davidson's body in the near future? Referencing Kate Beckinsale.
1: They're better than the usual celebrities there, which is usually Ann Burrell.
0: Ann Burrell. (laughs) You know who else was there uh, at the game was uh, Rami Malek, uh, Oscar winner for Bohemian Rhapsody, by the way. Oh, and to reference your story, I, I too, just uh, had to suffer through uh, a, a PDA nightmare. Uh Ruby and I were at um a furniture store. Um let's call it East Oak as as a way of to code word it. And um we were trying to, you know, when you're at this place you sit on couches to test them out as as we're, you know, trying to furnish a new apartment and stuff. And there was one couch we had sat in every single couch um except for this one where this woman had been sitting on it for quite a while and then her gentleman sat down next to her, and they're talking, and we're standing about 10 feet away just waiting for this thing to break up, and then all of a sudden they start making out on the couch. And when I say making out, it was like that old, to reference SNL, sketch when uh, it was Will Ferrell, and he's like, my lover. And it was like two crunchy granola Californians sucking face on this couch, and so we just turned heel and went to restoration hardware anyway. Um, well, yeah, there you go oh hockey podcast right coming up on espn on ice is ryan o'reilly of the st louis blues to talk about their miraculous turnaround and shay theodore of the vegas gold knights to talk about amongst other things why he is their current faceoff leader all that okay. and more coming up on this edition of espn and ice let's start the show proper
2: from the ice to your earbuds a podcast about hockey Featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on Ice with Wyszynski and Kaplan.
0: Hey, well, hey everybody. It's ESPN on Ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I am Greg Wyszynski, senior NHL writer. I'm
1: Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter.
0: And if the playoffs started today, Emily, we would have a couple of matchups that are stone-cold locks to happen. One of them is the Boston Bruins and the Toronto Maple Leafs locked in the 2-3 series in the Atlantic Division. Ah. My problem with this is that they would, they are also the 2-3 seeds in the entire conference. And in the National Hockey League, if you stack them from 1 to 31, they are the third and fourth seeds in the entire league. And because of this playoff format that we have now, that forces compelling matchups in the first round, with nary a word said about par about about the the quality of the regular season and the fact that these teams struggle for 82 games just to earn the right to play a really good team in the first round. This is the matchups that we have.
1: Look, the NHL has changed its playoff format a whopping 26 times in its history. This iteration just kind of feels stupid, and I understand where it is to promote rivalries, but uh, when I boils down and I think about why the NHL is creating this, it's because they know their playoffs is one of the greatest of sports, and it's them branding their playoffs, and it does create better matchups in the playoffs, but it totally devalues the regular season. And as you mentioned, the possibility of two of the top seeds having to be out by the second round is just ludicrous.
0: Yeah, and then over in the West, you have the San Jose Sharks, who right now are second in the conference probably facing the Vegas Golden Knights, who are fifth in the conference in the first round. That's completely inadequate. That completely devalues the regular season. And then on top of all this stuff... You, you have the ongoing nonsense of the top seeds not being protected in the playoffs. So if you're the Tampa Bay Lightning and you're going to finish the season with an NHL record number of points for a team, and, and it, they're on track to potentially do it, to be the team in the history of the National Hockey League, over a 100 years of this dumb league, uh, they could end up with more points than any team has ever amassed in the history of the league. And their reward for this, Emily, is to play either the second or third seed in the entire conference in the second round whilst the winner of the Metropolitan Division gets to waltz through against the lower seed. It is asinine that they keep doing this.
1: Well, it's to create a March Madness-style bracket in April. And I understand it's exciting to get teams knocked off, but you have to wonder if one of these years, because we haven't heard it this year at the GM meetings, but a GM who's totally screwed by this, and in the past it had been the Capitals and Brian McClellan, but maybe it's Kevin Dayoff whose Winnipeg Jets teams were totally gassed after a slugfest against the Nashville Predators in the playoffs last year and just couldn't have the you know energy to make it past the next round against the Vegas (laughs) Golden Knights, has to propose, look, guys... We've got to do something to save our league. This is devaluing our regular season, and I wonder who's going to be the one to do it and who's going to stand behind them.
0: You see, the problem is, though, is twofold. One, you and I might be in the minority on this because a lot of fans out there really do love the fact that you get Boston and Toronto in the first round, Vegas and the Sharks. The Capitals and Penguins are on track to play each other. Like I think I've compared it in the past to, what if your dad gave you candy for dinner the entire week like you're gonna love it kind of because it's candy but by like the fifth day of it you're just like oh can I have a salad and so I feel like the fans right now are still on that third day of having candy a lot of them kind of like this format for the very reason that we don't like it which is that it forces these matchups the other thing is this format with the wild cards and with the top three teams in each division qualifying also makes the playoff teams that get affected by it the minority because the majority of teams are the ones that are chasing playoff spots and under this format you have many different entry points versus through the one through eight format you got the first wild card the second wild card you can get third in your division you have teams that are legitimately still in the hunt right now in these playoffs that might not otherwise be in the hunt under the other format and so I think that kind of affects things as well. They've got more entry points. There's there, It feeds the false sense of parity that Gary Bettman likes so much. So there are forces that are working against us in this, Emily. And I don't know if we have the, uh, the the people to rally behind us, the troops to grab their torches and march on NHL headquarters to get this format changed.
1: I don't think so. And do you know what? I don't think they're going to make changes on anything else because when you look at the agenda for this GM's meeting, it's <laughs> quite boring, wouldn't you say? <laughs> well,
0: listen – you and I are not there. Um, many of our friends are. And I got to tell you, like, the boys on TSN, they work really hard for a month getting all them trade rumors and stuff. And if they want to take a, a couple days in Boca to just kick back and wait for a GM to come out to talk about how they might put a clock in the corner of the rink so defensemen can see it, that's fine. They work really hard. I give them all the props in the world for having a chance to go down and, and kick it back. As, as Bob McKenzie often tweets at this time of year, it's mail it in March until we get to the rigors of the playoffs in april but there are a couple things that gms were considering this week and we don't know how the the votes have gone or anything quite yet because we haven't uh, we're doing the podcast and they haven't really voted on anything quite yet but one of the things they're talking about are how penalties are awarded in the three-on-three so the idea is you know should it be a one-minute penalty should certain types of penalties be two and maybe a delay of game only be one like rethinking uh, the potentials for power plays and penalties in the three-on-three overtime.
1: I believe it is the great silent assassin Yarmo Kikalainen who proposed this, and the <laughs> idea being it is so freaking hard to defend a four-on-three in overtime that once mm-hmm. you get a penalty, you're pretty much doomed. So yeah, I kind of like the idea of making it one-on-one. It promotes more three-on-three hockey, longer overtimes, and that's better for everybody. So I'm for it because I'm for everything Yarmo Kikalainen does these days until mm-hmm. uh, he gets axed because his team yep. doesn't
0: make the playoffs. I'm surprised he didn't walk into the GM meetings. He's just like, hey, it's me, Yarmo. How about you give six extra points in the standings to anybody who makes the
1: biggest trade at the deadline? <laughs> 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 and Yarmulke Kalina now sounds like Mario Kart.
0: Exactly. It's me. Um, and then the other thing they were talking about is changing the uh, – the ROW in the standings. So that's your your regulation and overtime wins thing to just being regulation wins kicking the overtime out all of a sudden the overtime this beautiful beautiful thing that they created to to diminish the number of shootouts that we see. Now we're saying the overtime is a gimmick too and maybe it should just be regulation wins. I kind of go back and forth. I mean like I mean it still passes being attempted and completed. It's still defensemen playing their positions. Yeah, 3 on 3 is not 5 on 5. 3 on 3 is probably not even 4 on 4 by my math. But I still think it looks enough and feels enough like hockey, a team sport known as hockey versus the shootout, that the wins that you get in the overtime should count towards that total. But I I am willing to entertain the idea of putting the emphasis on regulation wins. If we're not going to go three points for a regulation win, maybe the very least we can do is put the extra added value on getting that regulation win for tiebreakers.
1: When I look at this very non-sexy agenda for the gm meetings it comes to one conclusion it means the gms and therefore the owners are happy with where the league's at right now they feel like interest is high uh, interest is growing they're growing financially um one of the things that i cannot fathom ever taking away from the game is three on three overtime it's one of the best things that they brought to it it's what gets the casual fans excited um that said, the shootouts also get casual fans excited, so that's probably why it sticks into. But 3-3, three three, like you said, because it resembles such regular hockey, uh, I, I, I can't imagine taking it out. And, you know, yes, you can devalue it a bit, but uh, a win's a win in my book.
0: Yep, they're all very happy until their owners decide they have to cancel the season because someone doesn't want escrow. Uh, coming up now on the podcast, Ryan O'Reilly of the St. Louis Blues, the resurgent worst to third, not first, uh, Blues and we talked to Ryan about how this all happened, about playing with Vladimir Tarasenko, and a great many other things, so enjoy it. All right, joining us now on the line is Ryan O'Reilly of the St. Louis Blues. And I guess the first question, Ryan, the obvious question, how have you guys done this, <laughs> going from last in the conference to ensconced in a playoff spot in the Central Division?
3: Uh, <laughs> there's been a lot of factors. Um, you know, I think... Uh, you know, we started the season with so many new faces that uh you know, it, it took a while. It took a while to find our groove and um yeah, we just we, we kept working, we kept sticking with it. We obviously we had some struggles but uh you know, we have a really good team. You know, our goal our goaltending uh, has been outstanding. You know, we've got a great D core that, you know, as forwards if we're we're skating hard our you know, we're helping out our D and we're not giving teams anything. We've just been defending. Really well, and yeah, it's it, it's been fun. It's been a big climb, and again, you know, we're still fighting to to try to win the win the division and, and get the best possible seating we can. But uh, yeah, we're continuing to grow. I think uh, you know, guys are excited. We uh, you know, we've been playing some good hockey.
0: Yeah, you touched on a couple of things I wanted to get to uh, with regard to your turnaround, and we might as well start with the kid. Uh, Jordan Bennington won my heart the other day uh, when he responded to a question about being nervous with, do I look nervous? And I have to imagine that that is the level of confidence that he brings to the rink and probably the level of confidence that he's given you guys and playing as well as he has for these last few months.
3: Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. You want your goalies <laughs> as, as confident as possible and, you know, that's what he brings. You know, I think when he's in he's in the fights there you don't see him, you know, uh nervous at all. He's confident, he, he knows he's got a job to do and he's been doing it extremely well.
0: Is he swaggery?
3: No, he's uh <laughs> I don't know, he's he's just such a easygoing guy, really uh yeah, just a really great guy that uh, you know, works hard and yeah, you know, your goalies are goalies are always a little different and you know, <laughs> he's just one of those guys that great guy and he's got he's just got confidence in there. You can just tell every time the way he's moving in the net, he's just yeah, he's got a certain aroma about him that's just uh, you know, guys I guess feed off of him.
0: when you're dealing with a hot goalie on your own team, how do you handle it? Do you do you bring it up with him? Are you a superstitious guy when it comes to the kind of streak that he's been on?
3: Um, not really. I think most most guys, you know, kinda of, you do know, you don't do a lot with the goalies. You know, the goalies are kind of always on their own page and, you know, doing uh, their own thing kind of, you know, obviously you hang out outside of the rink and stuff. But when a game's going on, you know, there's not much talk to a goalie. You know, they kind of get in their own mental zone. And, you know, like him, he's doing his thing. And, you know, it's mainly kind of worrying about the other guys. And, you know, how can we perform the best in front of them? Mm -hmm. You know, so
0: for sure um you mentioned the defensive uh responsibility and tightening up that side of the game you know craig baruby is a guy who i think never really gets the credit he deserves as a as a tactician as as a as a systems guy probably because during his career he used to beat people up and sometimes those guys don't don't get put over as being you know the smartest guy in the room sometimes but I look at what he's done for you guys on this team as far as the forecheck, as far as what's happening in your own zone, and I say to myself, you yeah, know, he changed a few things, didn't he?
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think he, uh, you know, I think at this level, you know, it's not it's not a ton of X's and O's. You know, you have so many good players and guys that kind of know how to play the game. And, you know, with him, yeah, he, he's, he's great at reading when, you know, we're not playing our system, we're not doing... And performing the way we need to and and structure wise how we need to make adjustments but you know he does a great job of talking to us and, and getting us to to make the adjustments to get back into our game and yeah he like said i think he's he's been an outstanding coach for us
0: how, how much of that was just simply getting another voice behind the bench i mean i know that you were kind of new to the situation this year but i'm sure other guys were probably you know talking about the necessity of having a different voice behind the bench did you get that sort of vibe when the change happened
3: you no, know, I think you knew it was coming. You know, when you're not having success and looking at where we were, you knew a change was going to happen. And I, I really enjoyed playing for for Mike. Yo, I think he's a really good coach as well. It was just, you know, the you know changes happen, and you know, Brewery came in and was a little bit more, uh, yeah, just just brought some things a little different. And you know, I think as a as a team, you know, over this course of the year, we, you know, we came together more and, and started performing better. And, yeah, it, just, it, it took a bit um, in the beginning. Mm-hmm.
0: What's it like playing with Tarasenko? i got to imagine that's a very singular experience for a center.
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, I really enjoy it. He's uh, obviously one of the most uh, elite goal scorers in the game, but I think it's really underrated, his playmaking ability, because mm-hmm. he's such a threat like, um, you know, teams watching him they know they they can't let him shoot the puck he's going to score but he sometimes because of that draws so many guys towards him and makes like little plays around it which open up the open up the ice so much that uh you know it was really kind of I didn't really know that until playing with him and it was really impressive but he's just uh you know he's obviously just an outstanding player that uh you know been a big reason how we were able to turn it around
0: yeah, I covered Washington for a while, and that was the same deal with Ovechkin. Like, you know, there's such an overcommitment to defending one part of his game that other parts open up, and and it, and it is sort of underrated the aspect of of playmaking for these guys because, you know, they're they're such put into the sniper category that sometimes people sleep on the rest of their game.
3: Oh, absolutely, and it's yeah, it's crazy just how much and why there's such threats is because of that. They can shoot the puck, and they can. They can make plays that you know. You just you have to be so aware defending these guys. And for me, playing with them, it's it's been a lot of fun. He's obviously helped, uh, you know, and made myself look look good and you know, <laughs> helped to create so much.
0: Tell me about the emotional journey for you this season. I mean, like you're 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 a point per game guy the whole time. Um, like you said, early in the season, the team doesn't come together quite right. Took the coaching changes made. At one point, it looked like there was a chance that they might just, you know, press the button and blow up the roster. And then all of a sudden you guys are in a playoff spot. I mean, what, what's that journey like, even for yourself or even in the locker room?
3: Um, yeah, I think you know, I think everyone comes in so young, ho on the start of the year and obviously we had really high expectations right off the bat. And, you know, I had them too and was very you know, disappointed with the way we started. And I think everyone was, the whole hockey world was like, what's going on here? Why aren't these guys winning or, you know, these guys are in last place. And yeah, it's, it's very, it's an emotional roller coaster. You know, you're frustrated. You're not sure what's going to happen. But, you know, I remember talking to my dad about it and he just said, you know, be patient. And, you know, it's it's not easy to win this league. It takes a while for guys to find each other and come together. And it's kind of... Exactly what happened, you know, and we're kind of, you know, it was great that they didn't make adjustments and, and blow, you know, blow the team up. They mm. they had faith in us, and they let us work through it. And you could see kind of the way we came together and started to find out, okay, and this is our game, you know, this is how we play, this is what gives us success, and yeah, like the, the season's so long, you know, the, you know, when you look at, you know, we come off an 11 game winning streak, and you know, right now we're. we're we haven't played our best hockey last two games, you know, it constantly, you know, we ride this high, we're down a low again now, and we got to find and build our way back up. It's just, it's such a long season that, you know, the teams that can hang on to the tough times and when they're feeling good, ride those, you know, those are the successful teams. So that's, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, what we've slowly built to, and we're trying to get right back on track.
0: Yeah, and then finally, you know, you... You made such headlines when, when you left Buffalo, or what I should say at the end of Buffalo season. You obviously didn't leave yourself. You were traded. Um, for being so open and honest and, and emotional about the way that things had gone in Buffalo. And, you know, some people saw that as a positive. Some people saw it as a negative, but I was wondering, you know, for yourself as a player, as a leader, what did that experience teach you? You know, the, the way that things turned out in Buffalo and the reaction that you received when you were so honest about the way you were feeling about things.
3: I think publicly not to take uh, as much responsibility as I did. I think <laughs> that kind of that kind of hurt me a bit. But uh, no, I you know I I, I have no regrets with kind of what I said, and you know I I hate to lose, and you know I I was a big part of that, and you know I was one of the guys playing the most minutes there, and you know I needed to do a lot better and change some things, and I didn't do it, and you know I think. Yeah, some people didn't like that but that's what happened and then, yeah, I it was it was tough at the time but I couldn't be happier with the way things work out than to be here in Saint Louis now. So it's it's crazy how, how things change, but yeah, I think you know, it's one of the things you gotta keep you have to learn from other situations and continue to grow and reinvent yourself every every year.
0: All right, finally, finally. How important is it to you that you get to go to Vegas for the NHL Awards? You're like third or fourth on my Selkie ballot right now, but I have a feeling like you'll be top three. Is that a big thing for you at all? Is it something that you look forward to? Do you care about it during the season?
3: Ah, uh, gosh, I don't really think about it at all during the season. It's you know, there's yeah, there's so many more important things. You know, you, you know, you play a game and yeah, you're just you're trying to win. You're trying to get this, you know, get your team back. You know, winning and and all those sorts of things that you don't really think about it at all. But uh, you know, it is it is a nice uh, treat. Obviously, a uh, free flight to Vegas and get to go there and <laughs> enjoy it for a bit. Uh, I know last year I went and had a good time, so it's it's nice. NHL does a good job with the awards, and um, yeah, who knows if I'll if I'll be there. But uh, it, uh yeah, it's always it's always a nice a nice thing and to be recognized for something. And yeah, there's uh, we'll see, but. You know, hopefully, I've got the cup in the summer, and uh, that's all that
0: matters. See, that's a brilliant, humble answer. Now you're in my top three. It's just like Oscar season. <laughs> like, If you're humble and you play the game, then you're going to be in the top three. You're going to be a nominee. So now now you're in my top three because you're so humble about it. That's a brilliant answer. All right,
3: Ryan uh, O'Reilly. Thanks, uh, <laughs> thanks, uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, our
0: thanks to Ryan O'Reilly of the Blues. And now a little bit more Blues Talk with one of our favorite people, Linda Cohen. Of in the crease on ESPN Plus. All right, joining us now is our good friend Linda Cohn of in the crease on ESPN Plus, the only highlight show that you'll ever need in your life. And uh, Linda, you are uh, someone with an affinity for goaltenders. Jordan Bennington, what's up with that? Is, is this is this kid just getting lucky first time around the league, or do you think that he's got the stuff to potentially backstop the Blues to uh to pretty great heights this year?
4: I love what I'm seeing. We obviously know the numbers that Jordan Winnington have put up. Everyone (laughs) kind of nicknamed him that. But you know what? What I love about him is a demeanor. Um, you know, and we, I could be saying the same things about a guy like Carter Hart because the best goalies, uh, as you know, year after year, decade after decade, usually are the guys that are just so calm in the net. And those are like the, the, you know, Carey Price and John Gibson come to mind where they just have a calm demeanor in the net and they stop the puck. But the thing I would love about um, Jordan Bennington is the fact that, you know, when I, I hear his responses when he's interviewed about certain things, I, I, I he's just sort of like, I belong here. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what comes out through the body language. And he's just taking advantage of an opportunity. And I love guys that just take advantage of an opportunity. And Greg, you're not gonna like this, but I happen to be hanging out, had some time on my hands. And I was looking at YouTube and I watched again for the millionth time the fabulous documentary, I think it was called Brady Six how Tom Brady took advantage of an opportunity, and Bill Belichick explaining back in the day how Tom Brady took advantage of an opportunity, even though he was the most gangly-looking human at a combine known to man all time. So, sorry, I didn't mean to bring that up, but that's what came to me. So I just love athletes who maybe many people didn't think he was going to turn out to be and capable of carrying a team, perhaps, uh, too very far in the Stanley Cup playoffs, but Right now, he's doing all the right things, and he's saying all the right things. And guess what? His team is playing well in front of him.
0: Yeah, well, I was on YouTube watching I Am Sam uh, about (laughs) Sam Darnold and the most underappreciated rookie season for a quarterback in the NFL history. So I guess we were both watching stuff, Linda.
4: funny what we gravitated toward i mean it was after i watched the my downloaded bohemian rhapsody for the five thousandth time because i just can't get enough of rami malek who by the way was at the rangers capitals game in madison square garden greg and emily i can't tell you how many times i've been at msg in my lifetime couldn't i be there when rami malek was there
0: we were just talking about that emily said that every time she goes it's anne burrell from the food network and and i agree it, it, it was I mean, Rami Malik I mean, and then Pete Davidson and Kate Beckinsale uh, smoochin' is what, what was at the Rangers game perfect. this week.
4: Perfect. Uh, exactly. Then I could do without. but yeah.
1: <laughs> I could do with Kate Beckinsale. It's not a turn on that guy's throat.
4: I love when we get pop culture in your podcast. And we love you, Linda. So we can remember to watch really you on awesome. In the
1: Crease all the time on ESPN+. You guys do it better than anybody else. I love watching. It's
4: how I get my highlights, and you should, too. Thank you so much, darling. And every, I just love the fact you're an amazing guests. I know this is like a love fest, but I just want to say this before I go. The amazing guests you have on this podcast, I learn a lot from it, uh, from what these players say, and they're coming on, and players are noticing what ESPN is doing and you guys are a huge part of that. So thanks for doing that.
1: Thank you so
0: much, Linda. That's
4: wonderful.
1: It's It's true. true. Hugs all around next time we're in California.
4: (laughs) All right, great. You're always invited. (laughs) Open insight. Take care.
1: Bye. (whistles) Our thanks to Linda. I love hearing her voice and I love the fact that she, like the rest of us, discovered that the St. Louis Blues are for real. And did you guys know that Discover is the official credit card of the NHL? And with Discover, you can show how much you love your team everywhere you shop with a personalized card featuring your favorite team's logo and colors. But no matter what team you root for, Discover is committed to rewarding all their new card members with cash back match. Only Discover offers a dollar-for-dollar match of all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year automatically. No caps, no sign-ups. Redeem your rewards in any amount at any time, and they never expire. With all that extra cash, you can treat yourself to center ice seats of the game, your favorite player's jersey, or maybe buy some new headphones to listen to your favorite podcast on. So try it and believe it at discover.com slash NHL. Only for new card members, limitations apply. But Greg, do you know what limitations do not apply for?
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Creativity of fans these days. And you saw <laughs> it in it, its... Best iteration, uh, depending on your definition of the word best. Last week, when you went to the infamous John Tavares night, and I've been dying to talk to you about this because we haven't talked yet. Give me your dispatch. What did you see? It really was a top
0: ten moment for me doing this job, and and I say that as someone who's had the blessing of covering the Olympics, the Cup final, wow, the John Scott All Star game, wow. I, I I can't I can't put into words what it felt like to walk around the park. First of all, to walk around the parking lot of Nassau Coliseum fully knowing they moved the game from Barclays to Nassau because of Tavares, which is pretty incredible in and of itself. But, um you know, to see everybody with Trader uh, either s- taped over Tavares's name on their jerseys or they've rearranged the letters to spell it and gotten other letters from Home Depot to then sew onto their nameplate to create the name, um, to see his, his gear burned in effigy and metal drums... um I, I, the one the part that I'll always remember is the the person the people who taped his jersey to the ground uh in the parking lot, and when cars would drive by and not drive over the jerseys, fans would step out in the middle of the road, have them reverse, and then drive over the jerseys like that's the level of pettiness that we are dealing with now the the fact that he had a rubber snake thrown at him and a jersey thrown at his in his direction. Um, was really unfortunate and it, as per usual with dumb sports like the, the the moments where we have this wonderful escapism of heroes and villains and 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 making people pariahs and 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 pl- make, having a world of make-believe inside the walls of the arena gets punctured by a few idiots um the atmosphere was incredible. It was intense. I can't believe they actually left their best material until the last five minutes of the game, where they started chanting "Where's your jammies?" And the one part that I'll always remember for sure after the game is when Tavares is is solemnly talking to the media. He's he's been through hell. It's kind of a miserable night. I felt bad for the guy because he really did kind of give his all for the Islanders until he decided he you know could win a cup have a better chance of winning a cup elsewhere. He's doing this interview and then all of a sudden uh, an Islanders fan in the section near the interview area ducks his head in and goes, hey, John, you suck. (laughs) And it was like the perfect parting shot at this moment where Tavares is just kind of like, we're going to move on. We're going to do whatever," And he's like, John, you suck. And I'm just like, oh, God, you poor bastard.
1: So here's my question for you, because I went to Penn State and I like to tell people I went to Penn State at a very interesting time. It was during mm-hmm. the Jerry Sandusky scandal. And something that really always irked me is everyone always asked when that happened to me. Oh, my God, were you the ones flipping over the news vans starting a riot when Joe Pot was fired? And there's always that one central imagery of that mob mentality. And I'm like, well, it's not all students. We were a large student body that didn't everyone wasn't acting that way. So all I could think of is during, during this John Tavares night is the booze that happened, including during the tribute video and the snakes. Like, Was that everybody? Was, was there some dissenters? Was there some other faction of people that just weren't covered as much?
0: First no. of all, I thought you were going to keep it as uh, I, I went to Penn State, and I like to t- tell people I went to Penn State, which, of course, would be the thing that, <laughs> that you could just Penn leave Stater it as.
4: Do,
0: huh? uh-huh. as, I, as I see every car drive by with a thousand Nittany, Nittany line stickers we on it. You are, them. my friend. Um, so I, it was everybody. I, I know that there were people on Twitter that were tweeting out like,
1: don't no, – The media is not portraying it correctly. There are lots of people
0: supporting John. No, there was nobody supporting John. I I met the one guy that was supporting Tavares and he was there with his kid and he said, you know, I think about my kid one day if he, you know, wanted to come home and play in Long Island, like, wouldn't that be amazing? And, and so the, the, those types of people were very, very few and far between. It it was loud. It was raucous. And again, what people don't understand from outside the Islanders fan base and, and outside of the New York area is that it wasn't just about Tavares. It was about the years, decades of the Islanders having people drop trow and, and, and poo upon them for being a, a mediocre franchise or being the, the, the little bro- kid brother to the Rangers or not being relevant since the first Reagan administration. Like, all of this stuff manifested in their feelings towards Tavares because this is the guy, this is the last guy, this is the most prominent guy who went and said, look, you guys aren't good enough. I'm taking my talents elsewhere. And and all of that emotion is tied into that decision. So it's not just about a, the franchise player being like, I love it here. I don't think you should trade me at the deadline. And then all of a sudden going home because he used to, you know, sleep under Leaf's bedsheets. It's him being symbolic of all of the people who have ever turned their backs on this franchise and all of the people who have ever said that the Islanders are inferior. And, and you know, that's very much a part of this. And that day when Tavares came back to Long Island, I think, was a moment of catharsis for a lot of fans for a lot of reasons.
1: So the logical next question is, who does this happen to next? Uh, So you look at the upcoming free agents, and, you know, I guess you could make an argument for Panarin or Bobrovsky because of what's going on with them in Columbus. If they return to Columbus, maybe they would get a cool reception. But as far as highest cap hits and guys who become free agents this year, Jason Spezza, he's 35. If he doesn't come back to the Stars, it's because the Stars don't want him. Mark Stone's already locked up. Eric Carlson is with the Sharks. Now, if he doesn't come back, they might feel slighted, and if if he decides to go do free agency... A, I think they're gonna get a deal done. B, he just wasn't there long enough,
0: right? Do mm-hmm. you agree? Yeah, I agree. And, and it's also funny, like people pointed out when Carlson went back to Ottawa, the fans treated him really well. And I'm like, well, of course. Like anybody who is not with the senators now, they, they escaped. The fans are really happy for him. It's like the, the inmates at Shawshank applauding Tim Robbins. Well, you know, how I it's,
1: feel right now about the Sabres, by the way, with like Ryan O'Reilly, Evander Kane, Robin Lehner, all having career years once they've escaped Buffalo. I mean, when they come back to... And I know Ryan O'Reilly has a bit of a complicated relationship with those fans, but...
0: Well, to, to answer your question, if Jack asked out, I think Sabres fans would treat him that way. Sure. Like, they, like the Islanders fans treated Tavares. If, if Ryan um, ask out,
1: he just said he if, wasn't having fun anymore.
0: If Connor asked out, I wonder how Oilers fans would feel because I feel like that's a... That's a fan base that right now is so angry at the mismanagement of their team that if Connor was like, hey, I'm done. or I, I wonder how many fans would be like, "Ah, we don't blame me you. Me too. <laughs> um, yeah, it, right?
1: You. <laughs> yeah, right. I'll be going Flames <laughs>
0: um, So that leaves us with a couple of different options. One is very painful for me, for me to mention, which is Taylor Hall. I think Devils fans view his experience in New Jersey as the resurrection of his career, as we took you after the Oilers said they didn't want you anymore, we made you the focal point of the franchise and, uh, chanted MVP when, when we believed you were the MVP and yada, yada, yada. I think if Taylor Hall left after next season and signed with like an Eastern Conference team, I think he could be that guy, especially if it's like a, a division rival. Um, but in five years when, uh, you know, Austin Matthews decided to take his talents to Glendale, we we'll, we'll 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 revisit this topic with our friends in Leafs Nation who right now are looking down their noses at Islanders' fans at their misbehavior. Let's see, see what, what, let's see what happens about. if if Austin Matthews uh, go, goes five years from now back to the desert and says, "You know, it's my childhood dream to play." And then all of Toronto's like, "You suck
1: Rawr!
0: We'll see what happens.
1: Well, two things. One, I think it depends whether or not they have a cup by then. And two, what do you think happens when Austin Matthews says, you know what? I'm a free agent, and I'm going to be a New York Ranger.
0: And three, I mean, by that time, he could be like, I, I don't like living in Houston. I wish the team was still in Arizona. Um, so-
1: <laughs> i sorry. You know, again, gotta it's have got to keep it's, him there for that purpose.
0: It, it's cheap heat, but also kind of not. Um, all right. Joining us now is a man who is making his way through the desert as we speak. It's Shea Theodore of the Vegas Golden Knights, where we talk about the Knights uh magic, uh, it, and maybe it lacking a little bit earlier this season, and also talk, as we mentioned earlier, the fact that Shea Theodore is going to challenge Patrice Bergeron for the Selkie Trophy this year. All right, joining us now on the line is Shea Theodore, uh, the uh, great defenseman for the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, who you might remember from their inaugural season playing for the Stanley Cup. Uh, Shea, the beginning of the season for you guys was not as uh, smooth sailing as it was last year, let's say. Was there ever a moment where you were worried that the magic might not be there anymore?
2: No, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I think with, with the group that we had and obviously we, we kept a lot of guys over the summer, um, you know, and I, I think it's still there. And I think, you know, when, even when we we're going through some struggles that, you know, we are confident in our, in our group.
0: Is that, is that just consistency in the roster? Is that, is that gallant? Like who who, 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 what part of that gives you the confidence that it's going to be all right?
2: I just think you know the chemistry that we have in the room with all the guys. Like um, you know, we went through you know a lot of a lot of stuff together last year, and um, you know it, it's good to have the same group and um, you know know that you know the guys are going to go and play for one another and you know have each other's backs. So.
0: Have you? Did you get a chance to kind of reflect on last year after it was all said and done? I mean, that is going to be, in the history of not only the National Hockey League, but the history of sports, one of the most remarkable first seasons for any team ever.
2: Yeah, I think, um, I, I didn't really think it hit me until like a couple weeks after, um, you know, because, you know, you're so caught up in the moment, and, uh, you know, there's a lot going through your mind at the time, and, um, you know, it just, some guys as well with you know the result that happened but you know it is what it is and you know it was just it was an honor to be a part of you know such a great such a great you know year
0: yeah for sure all right take take me into uh your your life a little bit this is uh, year two playing for a team in las vegas uh you, you're living there for the first time last year uh what's it, what's it like year one to year two living in vegas are you, it, was there an adjustment period? or are you, are you all settled in now?
2: Um, I mean, I, I think I think in terms of you know fan support, it's it's gotten even bigger. Um, you know, I think you know watching the support from 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 everyone when when you're going out for dinner or wherever you are, I think we're, we're definitely starting to get noticed, um, <laughs> you know, a little bit more walking around, and um, you know, I think that's pretty cool to to see a, a city, you know, in its second year, be that be that big, kind of everywhere, so.
0: Dude, that's the hallmark of a hockey town getting recognized when you're out, right?
2: Yeah, like you know, when when you're going to like smoothie shops or something, and you know, (laughs) you you know, everyone seems pretty nice about it. They don't, they don't really want to bother us too much, but it's no problem at all. Um, That's awesome. it, It makes it kind of interesting.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the connection with the fans last year was one of the greatest stories about you guys. The, you know, the the fact that the tragedy happened a couple of days before your first home game and, you know, myself being out at your practice facility during the playoffs and just seeing the incredible amount of people that came out to see you. It's, it's, it's gotta be something that, that like, and I remember like, uh, Bellmare and a few guys talking about just how strong that bond was immediately between you guys and the fans.
2: Yeah, it, it was, it was crazy, you know, during last year and, I think I think there's people lining up at four o'clock in order to get it just into you know to pre-game skate, um, you know for for a sold-out you know practice and um, you know the support's been there as well this year. Um, you know I think we've gone through a little bit more adversity as a team, but you know they've stuck with us and I think it's pretty special to see you know the fans that we have.
0: That's awesome. So what, what happens when a team that you're on makes a gigantic trade deadline splash, like the Mark Stone deal? Like are, what are you doing on trade deadline day? Are you, are you, are you watching TSN like the rest of us and seeing what's going on? Uh, does someone tell you the trade goes down? Like how do you find out about it?
2: We were, uh, you know, I think we had an, uh, I think it was a 12 o'clock practice that day. So we were just kind of in the room, kind of watching the TV and, um, you know, I think, our playing as a team wasn't where we needed to be going into the into the deadline, and um, I think you know they they made a splash, and you know we got an amazing player in uh, in Stone, and um, you know I think it was a good shake up to our lineup, and you know he's been great for us so far.
0: I'm going to ask you a weird question now because I was looking through some stats on Hockey Reference. You are credited this season with a faceoff win. Is that a, an anomaly, or did you actually take a faceoff? I,
2: I have no idea when <laughs> I noticed that uh, I think right after the game, because we get, we get the stat sheets and uh, I take a look and I forget what game it was where I was a hundred percent in the face-off in the face-off circle, but I, I did not take a face-off. So I'm not sure if, uh, if they got confused with the numbers and, you know, Hatch already took a face off with we've got the seven on his back and um, <laughs> I'm not sure I, I keep I keep looking at it and it's still there and I guess I guess I'm 100 percent so I'll try and keep it that way I guess. yeah
0: like dude don't correct the record right now you have a better faceoff percentage than patrice Bergeron so I think that's that's really saying something
2: <laughs> i I know I think you know when the game comes down to it and we need a big faceoff win I might might try and get in there
0: yeah, I don't know if this helps your Norris case or your Selkie case, to be honest with you, but I guess we'll find out yeah. in, in in June. <laughs> yeah. um, um, let me ask you this: You guys, obviously being in Vegas, you spend a lot of time on the road. What what do you do on the road? Is there anything that you're uh, binge watching these days, or anything that you like to do when you're on these long road trips?
2: Um, no, not really. I mean, I just kind of. Usually, seems like the night before, I just kind of download a bunch of stuff on Netflix and. Try, try to watch that and um you know on the road we go to team dinners and kind of hang out it's it's good we have uh we have a pretty close team here so um you know no matter who who you're going for dinner with you know sometimes we'll get 10 12 guys just to pick a random spot in the middle of nowhere and um you know i think it's i think it's pretty special uh you know to be able to do that
0: all right shay thanks so much for your time man continued success this season we'll see you in the playoffs thanks a lot all right, now it's time for Sash Got Your Number, which our good friend Sash and Shandon of ESPN uh, gives us a number, and we have to figure out what that number is within the context of the National Hockey League. Emily and I have been given the number, and the number is eight.
1: Hmm.
0: What do you think eight is? I mean, it's Alex Ovechkin's okay, number, obviously.
1: It's um, the number of letters in the last name of the two leading heart candidates, Nikita Kucherov and... Good Johnny Gaudreau, I think, if I spelled his name right. (laughs)
0: Um. All right, I'm gonna go. He's already done. I'm gonna go with. um, Oh boy, I'm gonna go with the combined points for Mark Stone, Ryan Zingle, and Matt Duchesne since they were traded from the Ottawa Senators.
1: Okay, wait. I'm gonna change mine. Okay. Five on three goals. By the Tampa oh, Bay like Lightning. this season? Yeah, I saw that the Tampa Bay Lightning had the most goals at five on three, but it's eight.
0: Okay, uh, let's see what it is. The Philadelphia Flyers have gone through eight goalies oh, this of season, right. each of them there making is. at mm-hmm. least one start. Mm-hmm. Greg,
1: you don't have to name them all, mm-hmm. but you can. Well, okay, and put them on a t-shirt.
0: Um, Anthony Stolarz, Brian <laughs> Elliott, two, um, Mike McKenna.
1: What about everybody, oh. sweet boy?
0: Uh, Carter Hart, Cam Talbot, um, Michael Norberth. Yes. Uh, Alex Leone.
1: Mm. Shoot. Did you get already? Who's <laughs> the other one? Damn did it. you get Brian Elliott already?
0: I did. Oh man, I'm missing the, I'm missing number eight.
1: <laughs> Who's number oh, eight? Um, I know who it is. Cal Pickard.
0: Oh, that's right. All right. Well, there you go. I got, so I got seven of eight, which I think is pretty impressive to remember Alex Leone. So I'll give myself partial credit for that. All right. Now it's time for our favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly weekly look look at 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 sad hyperbole hyperbole and and strange narratives narratives of the hockey media.
2: Good one, Randy. Good one.
0: Good one, Randy. Good one. It's Phil Kessel loves hot dogs in which we look at the uh, various uh, foibles and hyperboles and uh, general mistakes of the hockey media. This week we're going to feature Mike Kelly of TSN. We talked about this briefly on my other podcast, Puck Soup, but Mike Kelly, uh, said last week, late last week that, uh, quote, one of the worst narratives that still somehow exists is whether Leon Dreisaitl is capable of centering a line without Connor McDavid. He's on pace to score 50 goals and 100 points, ranks top five setting up teammates for scoring chances and top 15 creating them himself. Okay. He ranks top five setting up teammate scoring chances because he's played 602 minutes with Connor McDavid this year. (laughs) Like, come on. I I like Drysidel. I think he and Connor are a dynamic duo. I think that it is demonstrable that Connor McDavid without Leon Drysidel is still Connor McDavid and that Leon Drysidel without Connor McDavid is not anywhere near as good as Leon Drysaddle with Connor McDavid. I I understand what's being said here, but I do believe the jury is still out on Leon Drysaddle anchoring his own line, a la the Yevgeny Malkin to Connor Sidney Crosby. I know the counter argument from Oilers fans will inevitably be, well, you know he doesn't have really good line mates. He's skating around with, with nonsense when he is the second line center. And there's something to that, but I think that just underscores the fact that we just don't know exactly how good he can be as his own man and not playing with the best player in the world. Yep. So there. All right. Now it's time for puck headlines. Dateline GM meetings is coming in from our friend Frank Saravelli today. Uh, there is a movement afoot. Uh, that if a skater loses loses his helmet, he must come off the ice immediately. Uh, the American Hockey League has a similar rule. As Emily said earlier in the show, there's not a whole hell of a lot they're talking about at the GM meetings. But this seems like a pretty cut-and-dry rule in, a, in an age where everybody's kind of worried about the uh, head trauma of players, no?
1: It always struck me as odd that a player can skate around for what can be a very long extended shift without a helmet. Uh, it just doesn't seem kosher in today's day and age. The only other option here is stopping play altogether, which you could do, but I think uh, the NHL would like to keep up the pace. So, yeah, I think this is a no-brainer.
0: <laughs> stopping play altogether, I think, is sort of problematic. I, I I know that we have that these situations now where people are legitimately hurt uh, and play continues, and then you're like, why didn't they stop play? But there's also a part of me that knows that in a, in a league where people win by any means necessary, the kind of chicanery that can go on with guys like all of a sudden pulling up lame during a breakaway the other way is, uh, palpable. So yes. um, where Alexander you know.
1: Gorgiev can just throw a stick at Alex Ovechkin and hope that it lands. Now,
0: are you with me on the idea that goalies should be able to do whatever the hell they want in the shootout?
1: I totally agree with you on that point, because when I saw that, I was like, you know what? Good on him. You stopped him finally.
0: Dateline Ottawa. This happened since our last podcast. The Ottawa Senators fired Guy Boucher. Thoughts?
1: I feel for him. I really do. I mean, he was put in an impossible situation this year. He was on an expiring contract. The only reason he really wasn't fired sooner is because Eugene Melnick is cheap and doesn't want to pay two coaches at once. Uh, but then you lose, you know, three of your top scorers and you're being complained about lack of effort. And it's like, well, look what I've got to deal with. So, uh, yeah, look, he um is probably reprieved of his duties like this literally is being relieved of your duties um I wonder who they're going to go to next you know the logical thing is to give the guy in the AHL a try they actually have an interesting candidate in Belleville right now it's Troy Mann who for the long time was the Hershey Bears coach uh the Washington Capitals feeder system so I wonder if he gets a good look but all the usual candidates you hear for the other jobs I think uh the Senators will look at uh the question is who wants it
0: Yeah, who wants it? And I know a lot of people are always like, "Well, you know, who who would possibly take this job with this uh, incredibly problematic owner and and the team being moribund and stuff?" But there's only 31, soon 32 of these jobs, and there's always going to be somebody who wants it. And frankly, boy, you know there's something to be said for going to a place where the bar is set low for you. Right? Like, what do you got to do if you're the Ottawa senators coach, but just kind of sit around and do nothing for three years until they're relevant again. You know, like it's a pretty, pretty plum gig in my opinion, for someone who likes the, uh, the ease of low expectations. Um, Dateline. Uh, oh, by the way, just uh, another note on that. They can't even fire somebody, right? Like Pierre Dorian said in the Ottawa Sun, like a day before they fired Guy Boucher, we're going to wait until after the season to reevaluate the coaches, and then the next day they're up, they're they're out on their on their behinds. So can't even get that right. Uh, Dateline NHL Awards. We touched on this with Linda Cohen, but Emily wanted to get your thoughts. Can Jordan Bennington crash either the Vezina or Calder top three?
1: I don't think so, just because of games played. Uh, I, I don't have his numbers now of how many games he's played, but I know the last goalie who won the Vezina was Steve Mason he played 60 games I mean that's pretty significant and uh, I just think that the body of work that Elias Pettersson has put up would probably surpass that and ditto for the Vezina where uh, guys are putting up much bigger workloads I mean with the Vezina really one of the questions I have is okay where do you put Robin Laner? because he really has split time with Thomas Greece. Um, you know they have put up similar numbers but he really is Vezina quality
0: yeah, I think that's going to be the interesting thing for the for the voters, who by the way are the general managers for this award, is how do they parse out Laner from Gryce? I think Laner's been a bit better, but both the numbers are really good. In the awards watch that we had this past week, I had Vasilevsky leading with uh, Freddie Anderson right there with him, um, and then uh, who did I have third? Uh, Bishop and and Price is in there. Escapes um, me who I have third right now for uh, for for the uh, the Vesna. Um, but, you know, it's those two and then there's a third spot that's Maybe open. Maybe Anderson? It? No, no, Anderson was second behind mm. Vasilevsky. Okay. Um, but the point is, is that there's a, a, a cavalcade of guys that you could, uh, have in that third spot right now. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if, if they end up giving it to the kid. I mean, it's, it's possible. I don't think he's gonna have the work rate, but, um, you know, I think that there's a possibility that they, they give him, you know, a good look for that award, but, We'll see what happens. I think Vasilevsky probably has this thing wrapped up right now. Um, and it, it'll be interesting to see also how, uh, many awards the Lightning end up getting. I mean, you know, you could say Kucherov is the leader for the heart, Vasilevsky for the Vesna. Um,
1: Cooper, Jack Adams.
0: Potentially. That's going to be a heck of a race. Uh, Lander is my third still, by the way, is, is the thing. Um, until proven otherwise. Yeah. Cooper versus Tross is shaping up to be a Jack Adams battle for the ages versus because you're going to have.
1: Toshette.
0: Well, you, the thing is, though, is that no one's going to overcome Trotz in the I took a bad team and made it good category. The only mm-hmm. thing that can overcome him is I took a really good team and made it the greatest team in the regular season of all time, which is what John Cooper might have going for him when all said and done. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Dateline Cannabis. Uh, former Vancouver Canuck uh, defenseman Andrew Alberts says that N- NHL alumni – are hopeful a new clinical study will find cannabinoids can help treat post-concussion neurological problems. It's a double-blind study that will, that will include a hundred former players from all different eras of the game, including those who played with and without helmets. And it's the NHL Alumni Association and partnering with a cannabis company on a one-year study. So that's good, man. Like any, anything that we can do, uh, to help these players post-playing days, is is a good thing and uh, it's interesting to see the glut of players that are participating in this study
1: uh well this is excellent timing because if you go on espn on thursday i've got a big story about weed uh but uh you know one of the things that's interesting and i think you have to understand the differences uh between thc and cannabis and what they all are and i think it's fascinating that we began the season with Connor mcdavid the best player in the world asking why wouldn't you look into the benefits of marijuana you're stupid if you're not so um Good on the NHLPA for finding this partnership. I'm very curious to what they see, and we'll check back in the a year, and they said they'll fund another study if they get encouraging results.
0: For sure. And finally, uh, Deep Line of Detroit, of course. Rest in peace to Ted Lindsay, NHL legend, Hall of Famer, last member of the production line uh, that was still uh, living. And, and you know, again, the, the on-ice accomplishments of Ted, L- Ted Lindsey are legion. The off-ice impact of Ted Lindsey uh, is immeasurable. One of the founding members of the NHLPA, paid a very big price for standing up for labor rights in this league, getting traded, uh, getting uh, whisper campaigns against them from NHL uh, 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 executives. It was uh, a remarkable life, a remarkable career, and a remarkable guy. And, and one of the first guys, I think I mentioned this on Twitter, one of the first guys I ever met as a young reporter who really kind of carried a gravitas and a history with him. So when I sat down with him and talked with him at the Hockey Hall of Fame, it really did feel like you were... Talking to someone who was the embodiment of this league's history. Just a tremendous, tremendous guy.
1: That's so cool. I love it. I love all um, the of support from the current players too, who don't forget your roots.
0: Oh yeah, including Connor, who said, you know, put him over as being uh, an important player in the history of the labor movement. And as you know, I want Connor McDavid to be our shaker of air. He, he needs to be our labor leader for this young generation of players. I'll get shirts. All right. Let's, uh, let's uh, open up the rant line and see what you people are talking about this week.
3: Greg, Emily, I need your help. I'm a long-suffering Winnipeg Jets fan, but I don't live in Winnipeg, because why would I do that to myself? <laughs> so I always see my beloved team on the road. Somehow, my eight-year-old son has grown up as a Calgary Flames fan. We're based in the Bay Area, so I take him to see the Flames every time they visit the Shark Tank. But he has started complaining about always seeing his team on the road, and my wife agreed saying that the road environment is rough on a kid and he should become a shark fan. I say getting yelled at by the 80-year-old shark fan covered in enamel tins rocking a Pat saloon jersey is a rite of passage for any hockey fan. And the only way he's allowed to stop being a Flames fan is when heck freezes over, i.e. the next time the Canadian team actually wins the cup. What say you?
0: Wow, oh, there's a lot to unpack there. Um... I don't know. I, I feel like um, rooting for your favorite. I, th- I feel like your favorite team can easily be a parental decision until a certain age, <laughs> and then it becomes your own decision. It's kind of like religion in that in that sense. Um, so my eight-year-old daughter is a Devils fan um, because I told her she is one, and in, in, when she grows up and wants to be a Capitals fan or something else, uh, by all means, that she can be. So I, I, I think a certain amount of parental control and parental guidance here is, uh, is fine. And, and then you can kind of share that thing with them until they're old enough to, you know, pick their own thing they want to be into.
1: I think I just love that you guys bond over hockey. And I'm not a parent yet, so I don't really know how to do a lot of advice on this. But I think it's cool that you guys can always, I hope you guys have banter about the Jets and Flames. Like, that would be cool. Who's better, Johnny Gaudreau or Patrick Laine? I don't know. That's
0: cute. And and by the way, for all of you out there, if I don't know if you if you are religious or not, uh, I don't know um you know who you pray for or or pray to, but uh you know, say a little prayer for uh for the Columbus Blue Jackets that they make the playoffs. So more teams go all in cuz that would be great. All right, that's ESPN and Ice for this week. Our thanks to Ryan O'Reilly and the St. Louis Blues, our thanks to Shay Theodore and the Vegas Golden Knights, our thanks to Linda Cohen, and our thanks to you. Um, if you want to go on the rant line and rant to us next week, you can go ahead and do that at uh, 860-516-1029. And uh, if you are listening to this on the iTunes, make sure that you give us a review and a like or the stars or whatever it is you do on iTunes so other people can find the show. Uh, I'm Greg. You can find me at Washinsky on Twitter.
1: Emily at Emily M. Kaplan. Bye. Bye.
2: This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyszynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.